0: Everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. NetHealth wants to help you maintain strong relationships with your patients. So they have created the Redoc Patient Portal. It provides video conferencing for telehealth in real time over a HIPAA compliant video connection, secure messaging, sharing documents and photos, and your patients have 24 7 secure and on demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. If you want to learn more about the Redoc patient portal, contact NetHealth at redoc, that's R E D O C, at nethealth.com. All right, on to today's episode. This was, you guys, this was a great episode. So, my guest is Eric Miller. He has been in the financial planning industry for over 20 years. He is the co-owner of Econologics Financial Advisors and the Chief Financial Officer. He has a degree from Capital University and is a registered financial consultant and licensed insurance agent. He takes pride in helping practice owners become the financial heroes of their own stories and has taken this passion to over 600 families in the past decade. During this time, he's had over 15,000 conversations with practice owners regarding money, investing, practice expansion, practice transitions, taxes, asset protection, estate planning, and helping them shape their financial attitude towards abundance. Econologics Financial Advisors is an Inc. 5000 honoree for 2019 as one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. So Eric was awesome. He breaks it down. He makes all of this financial stuff so easy to understand. So in this episode, we discuss how to maximize the value of your practice, the business systems that add the most value to your practice and are the most attractive to potential buyers, financial considerations when planning your exit strategy, and easy, simple strategies to minimize your tax bill every year. Because- who wants to pay more taxes than they have to? So a big thank you to Eric for uh, sharing all this information uh, with us. And of course, thanks to NetHealth for sponsoring this episode. Hey, Eric, welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on.
1: Well, thanks, Karen. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah.
0: Now, before we get into our talk on, you know, how to maximize the practice val- the, the value of our practice, um, in your bio, I read that you're a registered financial consultant, so can you explain to the listeners what that is and maybe how that differs from a financial advisor or an accountant? What is the differentiation there?
1: Yeah, no problem there. So I think when people hear that I'm a financial advisor, I mean, people kind of have the, the same impression that all financial advisors are alike, so to speak. And that's not always the case. You know, there's some financial advisors that specialize in working with, um, you know, ministers and and teachers and all different kinds of um, professions. I just happen to work with private practice owners. Now, as far as um, am I licensed to do what I do, Uh, in in the financial world, there's something called uh, being a fiduciary. And when you're a fiduciary, that basically means that you have to do what's in the best interest of your, your client. Not all financial advisors adhere to that standard. Um, uh, I, we, we do, Uh, we're what's called a registered investment advisor, and we're held um, to that standard uh, under the SEC guidelines. And then uh, as a registered uh, financial consultant, it's, it's a designation that I picked up along the way. And it just. Basically, you know, there's certain t- criteria that you have to use to be able to get to that uh, designation. It's as Got simple it. As that.
0: Got it. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking before we went on, and it's kind of like if you're in the physical therapy world, which I am, and you go on to become, you know, like a clinical specialist in orthopedics or a clinical specialist in, in pediatrics, it's like going on for a little bit uh, extra education and certification in what you do. Correct. Is that right? Okay. That,
1: that's exactly correct.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All right. So now let's get into the meat of this interview. So today we're going to be talking about how to maximize the value of your practice, perhaps plan for an exit of that eventually. And we're going to weave in uh, some critical tax strategies that you might be able to use to save you money. So yes. no one likes to leave money on the table. No <laughs> one likes to feel like a dope because they didn't know what they were doing. So, so let's, let's start with maximizing the value of your practice. Yeah. What, so first, what does that even mean?
1: That's, that's, a, that's a great place to start because I think people automatically assume that when I say maximizing your practice value, it's just about money right? It's just about, Oh, the, you know, what's the enterprise value of my business. And then that leads into, Oh my gosh, he's going to talk about like profit and loss and EBITDA and all these really technical terms. But in, in my viewpoint, um, maximizing practice value isn't just about money. It's about the, the other parts of owning a business that you get value for like time, right? Like you would want to build a business that gives you a lot of time. Uh, you'd want to build a business that gives you um, great relationships with either your employees or recognition um, from your community. So when I say you're trying to maximize the value of your practice, it's not just about the money. Uh, it's about all of those other things because, you know, you look at it, most, most people that um, own a private practice, that that is your largest investment. You know, it's like the thing that provides the most cash flow to your household. And it is an investment and anybody that's owned a business for any period of time knows that it's something that you have to care for and that you have to make sure that you're treating like an investment and putting in the time and the money to make sure that you get the most value out of it. That's our definition for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how can we as practice owners, then maximize the value of our practice if let's say in the event we want to sell it we want to exit our practice in yep. whatever way we want that exit to happen
1: I, there's there's definitely some key areas like yeah you have, you have to kind of assume the viewpoint of a, a buyer like if i'm going to buy your practice karen like what are some of the things that i would like to see in place that would allow me to give you you know top dollar for it and I, I think number one, um, is your personnel organized? Okay, do you have organized personnel? Uh, do people have job descriptions? Do they know what they're doing? Do they know who to report to? Um, so, you know, I, I think that that is, that's key because obviously if you have people in your, in, your, in your organization that are aligned and are all kind of working together you know, you're going to have a really powerful organization if you can do that. If you don't, then you're going to have, you know, this scattered business that everyone's kind of doing their own thing and that's not good. So that's certainly one thing. Um, And then of course, just having good stable systems that are built uh, in your business so that there's procedures that people have that they can follow. Um, You know, there should be an organization chart somewhere where people know like who's who's in charge of, of what. Uh, I think that's going to all add, you know, uh, value to your business. Um, certainly if you look at like the, the facility, what's the facility look like? Is it in good shape? You know, do you have, if you lease the building, do you have a good lease on it? Um, you know, is there new carpeting? Is it I mean, is it a nice place where people mm-hmm. feel safe to come to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, certainly a buyer's going to think about that. And then I think from a, from an income standpoint, obviously you have to be solvent. Um, you certainly don't want to have a lot of, you know, outstanding uh, accounts receivable out there. You want to make sure your books are up to date and current. You don't owe any back taxes on, uh, on the practice. Um, you have multiple income streams in the business that you, like multiple services that you provide because no one wants to be reliant upon one of anything. So I think those are all some really key areas that if you can get those things in shape and um, you can get them systematized, you're really going to have something that someone else would want and they would value, and they're going to pay you a much higher amount for that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So what I'm hearing is you really want to have an organization that's sort of a well-oiled machine where people know why they're coming to work, they know what yes. they're doing once they get there, and reasonably happy at their jobs, if not very happy at their job.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the, that that's, you're exactly right. And I think the key, as the the person that's in charge of it, is that you have to know what your role is in that business. So I think a lot of people that are in private practice, and maybe you can you know attest to this. When you first started out, you're just trying to make things happen and go right. And you know, as you as you go on, you kind of realize: look, I, I'm not just a practitioner, I'm also an owner and I'm an executive. And those are completely different roles. And I think over time, if you can really make sure that you understand. Um, that those three roles are separate and that you have to make sure you, you master them to that degree, or at least hire someone that can do those things that that's really going to create you a valuable practice, you know? Yeah.
0: And I mean, when you first start out, like I work with a lot of like first time entrepreneurs, you are the owner, the therapist, the executive, the marketer, the pay, you know, you're everything. Right. You so- are. And- So let's say you have a practice like that, where maybe you are a single owner practice, right? Or maybe you have one person, part time person. So you don't have this sort of robust, huge practice. Can you sell that?
1: Well, you can, you can sell anything. It just is a matter of uh, how much you're going to get for it. Mm-hmm. So the, again, looking at the, from the buyer's perspective, he wants to buy something that's not dependent upon one person. He wants something that's going to be basically he can assume that there's free cash flow there mm-hmm. that is going to be worthwhile to him as an investment. So if you have like a single doctor practice or you're a single practitioner, I mean, you can certainly sell it. It's just not going to go for a very high multiple. See most of the practices that that we're talking about, you know, are are, are going to sell for maybe like a one to two times earnings. Whereas if you get, you know, a bigger organization that has, you know, seven, eight, nine, 12, 20 pts on staff, there's executives in the office. It, it's going to go for a much higher multiple. Could go as high as eight to ten of your earnings.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it is it is that kind of a game, but that's you know that's the journey.
0: Right. And you know, you had said you want to have a lot of systems in place. In your opinion, are what what are the more most valuable or most important systems to have in place within your business? Looking at it from a value standpoint,
1: I think definitely having a good financial system is really key. Because look at you know, a lot of businesses uh, business owners don't like to confront the finance part of their business, and that's why they don't have much in reserves and You know they're always kind of struggling for. Gosh, I can't make payroll this week, and it's just a constant battle when you don't have good financial systems in place because they're just they're not paying attention to their money lines. And unfortunately, when it comes to your practice, that that is the most important thing is keeping that practice solvent, which means that there's more money coming in than what's going out. Mm -hmm. So that personally, I think that's the most important. Some people would say a, a marketing system is really key because let's face it, if you don't have more patients coming in. Um, and a buyer's definitely going to want to see that he's going to want to see that you are, you have a system in place where that you're constantly getting new patients in the door. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think a good, um, quality control system is, is, is really, really key. Um, because if people aren't, you know, getting better and you don't diagnose that quickly of, you know, why aren't people getting better? Because that's what you do as a physical therapist. Your, your job is to get people pain free. You know, or reduce their pain. So I think that's a, a pretty key area too.
0: Nice. Yeah, I just had this conversation about the importance of a financial system because I sort of switched my financial system within my practice around over the last couple of years and it's made such a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Um you know, I started looking at the financial system in percentages. Yeah. Sort of going off of Mike McCallowitz and Profit the book Profit First. Exactly. Like and how so- much- yeah, so how much stays in the business, how much goes to me as an owner, how much goes to taxes, how much goes to profit, how much goes, and then making sure that when that money comes in, it is automatically divided up into those um, percentages, and it's made a huge difference. Oh,
1: that's so, that's so awesome to hear. It does, it, it, because you've instilled control over your money right now, right? Yeah. And when you look at, like, what's a barrier for a lot of practice owners is that they don't feel like they have control over their money, right? And, and and when you start putting in good control, it's kind of like when you're adjusting somebody or you're getting someone to feel better, right? You, you have to kind of put control in on that person. Like, I need you to do this and move here and do that. It's the same thing with your money. You have to kind of allocate it so that, um, you know, your expenses are, you channel your money to places where it needs to go to handle whatever expense that would mm-hmm. be. And certainly, you know, you're, Yourself, I think, you know, is the most important person that you need to pay first.
0: Well, that's what profit first says, too. Um, (laughs) No, it's true. Like, and once I started doing that, it made everything just lighter. Yes. So now, like, quarterly taxes are coming up September 15th or depending on when this airs that might've just been that September 15th date. And I remember like years ago, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, what's, I, I don't know how, how do I not have the money? Now I'm like, Oh, totally fine. It's where the, my money's where it's supposed to be. I am good. Like this is exactly where it needs to be.
1: That, that actually is kind of like an underlying, uh, goal and purpose that i have is i you know people always ask like what's the the product of a financial advisor and people think it's you know hey you know you made me 20 or 30 percent or you 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 know help me save in taxes not really you know it's i like people to feel relaxed about their financial condition. And just what you explained to me right there, you're definitely much more relaxed about your condition now because you have control over it and it doesn't control you. That's really awesome. I'm glad. Yeah,
0: And it's, it's a little stressful at first because it's different and it's a change. So I tell people, if you're starting out now, start off this way and Holy cow, you'll be so much easier. Yeah. Everything is just, I feel so much easier. Uh, yeah, just a sense of ease that I now know, like yes, I have money set aside for this. It's already paid like it's basically already paid for.
1: That's that's right. But it also does another thing too. It it does make you look at and say, you know what, I maybe I'm not making enough money in my business because I, I don't I can't cover some of these other things. And I think that's the most important thing that people have to realize and I'll go off on a little tangent here, but there's really two basic rules of, for me, income and expenses. Yes.
0: Let's and hear them.
1: The first one is that um, just get used to the fact that your business will try to spend every dollar that it makes and then some. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not just for a business. That's like a government or any household or organization. Just, just It's just going to try to spend every dollar that it makes and then some. But at the same time, it will also make the exact amount of money it thinks it needs to make to survive. So when I say that, people are like, what, is, what does that mean? I'm like, well, look, you know, if you know that you have expenses coming up, somehow miraculously, the business does make enough to cover it, doesn't it? It's just like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, that's the way it is. So the trick to it is simply to make sure that your reserves and your profit and your taxes are just part of what the business thinks it needs to make to survive. And if you can get that in as, as what you said, as part of that profit first book, I think that's what he's, he's talking about, is that it sets the right income target for what the business really needs to make, because that's that's the biggest out point that I usually see with, with practice owners, is that I'll ask them, hey, what's your income target? And they'll say, well, you know, I need to make, you know, $30,000 a month to pay my bills. And I'm like, well, no, that's not what you need. You actually need 45 if you want to include your profits and building up reserves and paying your taxes are they're, they're, they're operating on a wrong income target mm. so I think that's really key is to make sure you're operating on the right number Does right so
0: don't underestimate it
1: completely because I yes. think
0: oftentimes people will just look at well this is my rent these are my yep. utilities this is my payroll if you're paying people yep and these are, you know, overhead costs that maybe we have to pay, you know, phone bills, things like right. that, and that's it. And they're that's like, right. okay, so that's all I have to make.
1: That's right, and that's where their demand for income is. But and and if but if they put in, hey, I need another ten thousand dollars a month for myself. I need another five thousand for taxes. I need another because I I want to make sure I have reserves. So if I have to shut down for another month, I can handle that right? Mm -hmm. You start putting all those things in. Now the number changes from, oh, 35, I need to make 50. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's fine. How many more patients do I need to see a week, right? To be able to make that number. It just gets them, you know, being in a problem solver, you know, as opposed to like, I can't do anything about it kind of mode.
0: Yeah. And I, I do that. Like people always ask me, well, how many patients, you know, do you usually see a week? And I said, well, It's not how many do I usually see. It's this is what I need to see. Yes. To make X amount of money per week so that I know per month this is what I'm making. And my costs are a little bit lower because I have a mobile practice. So I'm not paying uh, a lease on a brick and mortar facility. But I still have to pay my own rent for my apartment and I still got to eat. You know, these are all the things that you have to put in. So it's not just... What does the business need, especially if you're a solopreneur, what do you need to survive?
1: Yeah. And, and I think this is where a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of practice owners and entrepreneurs gets, think that their business is more important than their household. And, you know, I'm under the, you know, our philosophy, our viewpoint is that your household is like a parent company. Okay. You think about this, you, you look at all the big corporations out there and, you know, people have opinions of them but they do understand money pretty well. And they, they certainly understand that I'll take Facebook, for example, Facebook owns, I don't know if you knew this, like 83 other companies and they're the parent company to all those other companies, but everything flows to the parent company. Okay. Where your household is no different. You know, you own, you have a, let's say you own a house, a business, maybe a piece of real estate, a 401k plan, a bank account, right? Those are all assets of the household. So you really, you know, once you start treating your household like the parent company, then you set up the system so that, you know, your household, you're meeting the goals and purposes of the household. People, I think they don't do that. They don't take care of themselves like they should.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Thank you for that. All right. So, We've got those financial, marketing, quality control systems. Obviously, three very important systems, and we can go on and on in systems. That's a whole other conversation. Sure. So we will take those, and people can run with them as as sort of prioritizing their systems. Good. Um, so now we've got we've got all of our systems in place. We've especially our financial system. So how do we plan? Let's say we're getting towards the end of our treating career, whatever, clinical career, whenever that may come, and it may come at different times for different people. How do we efficiently plan for an exit? What do we do?
1: Uh, As as far as like getting the business ready to exit out?
0: Yeah. yeah. Like, let's say, let's say you're, yeah, getting ready to kind of exit out of your business. Now, we know that maybe you can try and sell it. Or what if you're just like, this is the business is done?
1: You're just done. What
0: do you do? And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with Eric's answer. This episode is brought to you by NetHealth, helping you maintain strong relationships with your patients. The Redoc Patient Portal provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. Video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and view health information and appointments. To learn more, contact them at redoc at nethealth.com.
1: I mean, I I think the first thing you got to realize, you got to look at your own financial readiness, like, or can you afford it? You know, I mean, I think a lot of people, they get into a a position where they're, they're tired, they get exhausted, right, because they've been doing things um, for themselves, or I'm sorry, just for the business. And then they just get burnt out, you know, well, you know, burnout, you know, what burnout is, it has nothing to do with that. It's just that you don't have a bright enough future in front of you. That's what burnout comes from, right. And I can see why a lot of practice owners get in that condition. It's like, I just keep doing the same thing every day and I I can't see a bright future for me. So I might as well just sell the thing. Okay. So the first thing that I do is just kind of, I try to rehabilitate, like, do you remember why you decided that you wanted to be a business owner? Do you remember like what the purpose was? And if you can revitalize that, I think you can get that person back on track. But look, at the end of the day, if you don't want to do it anymore and you want to sell your business... Then you know certainly you know hiring a broker can help. Um, certainly finding someone or just finding another PT that you know in the area that would be willing to take you know um, you know sell the you can sell the business too for goodwill or um, it's not going to be for a very high price. But you, certainly you can find someone that that would be willing to buy your practice for some cost. Right. It may just not be very much.
0: Right. And then what if you're ready to just wrap it up? You don't want to sell it. Are there things that one needs to think about as they wind it down?
1: You mean just like, just close it down?
0: You're closing it down. You're moving on to greener pastures, if you will. (laughs) So you have decided to close it down. Are there any financial considerations that one has to think about in that scenario?
1: Well, you know, certainly look at how much money that you make from your business, even, you know, money that... Through the cash flow that you make, it's sometimes a lot more significant than what people think. And certainly, you can own the business. You can just—I mean—if you're a physical therapist, you can just go work for somebody else mm-hmm. if you want to. Um, but you know, I think f- people just have to realize that that their business does provide them a pretty good living, and they just have to analyze that and say, "Do I have enough to replace that, or can I go to work for somebody else and replace that income?" You know. Yep. It's, it's certainly not a good thing to do. You know, there's, there's seven different ways to exit out of business and, um, that's one of them just shutting it down. It's probably the, the most, it's the worst way to do it, but I know that it does happen.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What are, and I, I, what are the other ways you could just name them? We don't have to go oh, into detail, sure. but since so, you said there's seven know, ways.
1: Put me on the spot. Uh-huh. Out here and I got to remember all of them. Right. So, okay. So you can, uh, you can die with your boots on.
0: huh. Okay.
1: You can close it down.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, you can sell to uh, a associate. Okay. You can sell to a competitor. Uh-huh. Okay. You can sell to private equity. Uh-huh. Okay. You can gift the practice to somebody else. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, or you can have your employees buy it through what's called a ESOP plan. Those are the seven ways that you can exit out of your practice.
0: Okay, great. Well, what, thanks. What happens
1: with What happens with most practice owners is they either sell to an associate,
0: yeah, or sell to
1: a private equity group,
0: depending yeah, depending
1: on the size of the practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so now let's let's talk about taxes. Yes. So, oh, <laughs> eyes taxes. got really big guys
1: when you could see your eyes got big. <laughs>
0: uh, who likes to pay taxes, right? Nobody likes to do it, but we all do it cuz we need yeah. we need the services that they provide, right? So, let's talk about some tax strategies that might be able to save us some money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing on taxes is that you have to realize that a, your accountant may or may not understand the tax code completely, and that sounds really weird because everyone assumes that they have an accountant. Hey, he's going to try to minimize my taxes. That's not really what their their goal is. Their goal is to make sure that you are compliant, that you file your taxes on time. They're not necessarily doing tax planning for you. They're not trying to minimize your taxes. Okay. So I think that's the first thing is that you really have to make sure you're working with an accountant that has the viewpoint that I... I want to try to minimize this tax bill as much as I can because it won't happen by itself. Mm-hmm. You have to be proactive. You cannot take a passive role in minimizing your taxes or you're just going to end up paying the most. Okay. Um, the tax codes, 3 million words and you know, no one's going to know every single passage of it. That being said, there are definitely some strategies out there that you can utilize. One that that is that I've been, um, uh, talked about a lot is that you can actually rent your house out for 14 days out of the year and you can um collect that money completely tax-free and you're probably thinking like well how how would that benefit me so how where this came about was that um in i don't know what year it was but um if you've ever heard of the masters golf tournament Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys that have big houses there and on the golf course and they rent their houses out for thousands and thousands of dollars. Okay. Well, legally they can collect all of that money completely tax free. Okay. Because the IRS code says you can rent your house out 14 days out of the year and get that money completely tax free. You're probably thinking, how do I take advantage of that? Well, if you own a business, your business can rent your house out for 14 days out of the year. And as long as you have a legitimate meeting at your house, maybe you have with a key executive or even with yourself, right? You have an executive meeting at your house and you document that, then you can rent, you can have the business pay for that, okay? It's a business expense. And then you get that personally. And as long as you do it correctly, you can get that money completely tax-free, all right? That would be certainly one strategy you can use. Uh, okay. it's called the, it's called the Augusta rule. You can look it up online and, and certainly there's for the
0: masters. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how they, that's where it came from. Uh, that's one. And you know, right there, 14 days, let's say that year it's a thousand dollars. That'd be $14,000 that you could, you know, expense out in your business. And then you can get that personally. Now, you have to do it right. You You have to have a legitimate meeting. You have to like,
0: and you can't say it's $10,000 a night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know. In New York, you may be able to. Uh, I don't know. That might be
0: a stretch too.
1: If you needed to rent out like a hotel or a restaurant, that's what you would need to do. You need to go get like an estimate, like of where you would normally hold that meeting just for documentation purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, But like anything else, it can be done. You just have to follow through and have documentation, you know, and I just have the accountant guide you on how to do that. Um, That's certainly that that's one that would be, you know, 14, 15,000. So if people have kids, they can put their kids on payroll and they can you know, show them, that would be another uh, deduction that you can use. Um, you know, there's, there's, not a, uh, there's certainly a lot more, I could probably go on all night. Um, but you know, I think another, another thing that people can do is just look at how they take their income. Like you own a business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and most physical therapists are, are S-corps. And you know, a lot of accountants will tell them to take bigger salaries than what they actually need to, to be taking. Right. So you can actually adjust your salary down as long as it's a reasonable compensation and then take more and owner draws, that's gonna help minimize the the uh, the Medicare tax as well. So it it really just boils down to, you know, finding the right information, finding a right advisor that can help you and you know provide tax deductions that your accountant can work with to minimize it can happen. Like you, you should. It's your responsibility. And I say this a lot, it's like I've never read anywhere where it's my it's my responsibility to maximum fund the IRS, right? <laughs> like, I, I know I have to pay taxes. I I, I get that, but it, there's no one that said that I have to like pay, you know, um, an ungodly amount of, of tax. Uh, but that's the way the IRS works. They just assume that your money is their money, and you have to be proactive to show them otherwise.
0: Yeah, I know. This year, uh, when I paid. Uh, my taxes, when I did my taxes for 2019, I was so excited because I only owed like $309 Yeah. after doing my estimated quarterly taxes, which I thought, well, this is great because I'm not giving them more throughout right. the year. And in fact, I was almost like spot on.
1: That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 But but I thought that's it was pretty, pretty
0: good. Um, because like, you don't want to like I understand when people get refunds, but if you got a refund, that means that you gave them more than they than was necessary throughout the year.
1: Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that you have to stay on top of um, because as your business grows, you know your tax liability personally is going to be higher. So you really right. have to make sure you stay in good communication with your accountants. Like you should be talking to them every quarter. Uh, especially now recently, where I think a lot of people have gotten the PPP loan. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if that gets forgiven, well, you know, physical therapists didn't really shut down. I mean, some of them did, but you were still collecting money. Um, so, you know, you may have, you really have to make sure that you're you're not going to have a tax problem for 2020. It could happen. So just, you know, just getting in communication with your accountant. I think that that will help.
0: Yeah. During the PPP loan phase and COVID, I, I was, I think I was talking to my accountant like literally every other day. Yeah. Um, i like, does this make sense? Should I do this? Should we do this? Should I do this? Can I do this? Does this, is this the right form? Do I feel? And I did get a PPP loan because in New York, yeah. you know, we were done. Like when I say shut down, like shut down, Yeah, nothing, you know? And eventually I started doing more telehealth visits, but in the beginning it was quite scary. And so I said, you know, I better apply for a loan and and I did get it, um, and now they haven't even asked, we ha- they haven't even filled out the forgiveness paperwork yet, but now I'm in contact with him like weekly, like is this the right form, did I fill this out right, is this the right documentation I need, and he's like yes, 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 you're all good, so now when the time comes, I'll be able to get that in really quick.
1: Yeah, and it won't be a problem, and you know, you'll know, you have your attention on other things that'll right. that'll help expand. Right, And that's good. And, and that's just, that's not my experience. Most practice owners, they kind of don't confront it, they ignore it, and then it becomes a bigger problem down the line. And right. it's really needless. Right. So,
0: I think that's how I used to be, but I right. have now been rehabilitated financially.
1: Right.
0: So yeah, this was great. Now, what are, uh, in your opinion, what are the key messages that you would like the listeners to kind of take away from this conversation?
1: Well, I mean, you know, for me, look, I mean, you, you can, regardless of what your financial condition is, like, you can do something about it, right? And and I think that's always been a, a pretty key, you know, philosophical viewpoint that I have. Like, I don't, I don't think that there's such thing as an unwinnable game. And I know that even things get a little murky and they get a little dark and, and you know, sometimes you don't really see, you know, the future as bright as it could be. But if you just kind of like just do one thing, right? And complete that cycle of action and then go on to the next, then I think that starts to create more freedom for yourself. Like people get overwhelmed so fast, right? And there's like, there's so many different things to do, especially financially, right? That they they don't just do what's in front of them while they're doing it. Like just complete one thing at a time and then you can go on to the next one, right? Like do the next thing and then go on to the next one. And then that, to me, that's the key to success right there, is, is getting interested in something that you don't want to do, right, and completing it. And I think once you do that, you'll you'll start to see a, a much brighter future of better things happening to you.
0: Yeah, great, great advice. Thank you so much. And yeah. before we get going, I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask everyone, and that's knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Um, I would simply uh, tell myself that there are destructive and constructive actions that that you can do in life, right? And that um, those destructive actions, while they may appear fun at the time, will certainly prevent you from getting to your potential and leading the life that you want to lead, right? I know we're all young. We all kind of make stupid mistakes, and that's just part of the learning curve. But I would certainly tell myself, you know, don't, don't, you know, your personal ethics is really part of your survival, right? And to the degree that you kind of keep yourself in in good shape morally and you do the right thing, um, better things are gonna happen to you in your life. It's gonna create more abundance for you. And I would tell myself that is just make sure you pay attention and, and do the right thing more often than you do the wrong thing.
0: Excellent. And now, where can people find you on social media, website?
1: Yeah. So if you want to go for wealth uh, wealthforpts.com, wealthforpts.com, you can download uh, a, a free ebook that we have. You can certainly go to our website, econologics.com. And then we have a YouTube channel, uh, econologicsfinancialadvisors.com. And those would be three places that you can go to connect with us
0: perfect and all of that will be at the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in this under this episode so you, one click will take you to everything so Eric thank you so much this was great I was taking copious notes and you know every time I have these conversations I'm always thinking to myself hey what do I need to do what do I need to act on and you know a lot of the conversations that I've had with folks like yourself accountants even on this uh, program and in, in uh, my own personal life, have just really been so valuable so i thank you so much for taking the time out today
1: you're welcome thank you
0: and everyone thanks so much for listening have a great couple of days and stay healthy wealthy and smart a big thank you to eric miller for a wonderful conversation and of course thank you to our sponsor net health so again net health wants to help you maintain strong relationships with your patients that is why they created the Redoc patient portal It provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. You can conduct virtual visits, have follow-up conversations with your patients via a secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. To learn more, contact NetHealth at Redoc, that's R-E-D-O-C, at nethealth.com.